Are you recording now? Branch. 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 Branch out. A podcast from the Royal Botanic Garden, Sydney. A lot of people come up with the idea that we just have a collection of herbs, like things in your garden. But the reality is we have 1.4 million specimens of plants from around the world. Hey, I'm Vanessa Fuchs. For this episode of Branch Out, I'm taking you inside a facility that's been around since 1853 and is still the foundation for all scientific research that goes on at the Royal Botanic Garden, Sydney. We'll put it over here on the bench. So, so yeah, I've pulled out this box of eucalyptus. This is uh, eucalyptus dendromorpha, and inside is um, a paper folder. And inside the paper folder are our specimens, which are in their own individual little paper folders. We're inside the National Herbarium of New South Wales, one of Australia's largest reference collections of botanical specimens. Think of it as a warehouse of information about plant biodiversity. And our guide is Dr Shelley James. Hi, my name is Shelley and I'm the Collections Manager of the National Herbarium of New South Wales at the Royal Botanic Gardens in Sydney. And so we're standing on one level in here and I'm sort of surrounded by these red, what remind me of like school tidy tray boxes, like one on top of the other. And there's like, what, three, four levels of this? That's correct. Yeah, and lots of wood as well. We have wood collections, so not only flat sheets, but... um, all sorts of different things. The herbarium stores 75,000 of these red boxes and inside each one are dried and pressed samples of flora from around Australia and other parts of the world, providing a valuable record of plant distributions through time and space. And so we've got the red box and we take the lid off. This one that she's pulled out contains eucalyptus. And uh, it's really beautiful. Yeah, this one has fruits, mature fruits, and then it has some new flower buds. So this is a perfect example of what you would want to collect for a scientific specimen. And then on the label it has the name Eucalyptus. It's also got when and where the specimen was collected. And this one was from 2008 in a national park about 200 kilometres southwest of Sydney. And then we have the latitude and longitude, so that's really important these days for knowing exactly where specimens were collected because a lot of people use this information from herbarium specimens uh, to map species distributions, um, model their distributions um, through time. So these are the prime reference materials for knowing where species were in a time and in a place. It's like a little window into the past. Yep, yep. We have the record of where things were through time. It's like this giant library of plants and just like a library it's not just a place for storing stuff. Scientists are constantly checking out specimens to study their classification, ecology and evolution. We focus mostly on the New South Wales flora. The herbarium specimens are mostly cuttings of plants that have flowers and fruits and they're pressed and dried and then we attach them to a an archival sheet of paper add information about who collected them and um, when they were collected and where they were collected and that information is now um, available mostly online um, for other scientists and researchers to use. Although the herbarium has mostly pressed and dried specimens that's not all it has. You see certain species have qualities that aren't retained if they're pressed 
they just sort of squish and mush and lose their defining features. Things like um, cacti with lots of spines, uh, orchids, fruits, fleshy fruits, when you dry them down they just sort of shrivel so we like to put them into alcohol so that they retain those characteristics to study. And after showing me the pressed specimens, Shelley leads me down to a place where these collections are stored, which they call the spirit room. Down? Yep, we're going down to the basement. Whoa, what I'm looking at here is just these shelves of what looks like a typical sort of science room. I mean, usually in like movies, it's like horrible, like eyeballs floating in like jars. This is way, way nicer. And yeah, there's just sort of like cylinder shapes, kind of got like a clear yellowy tinge to it, the liquid. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like these plant seeds and other parts, like some of them are huge. And yeah, they're just sitting there and they're preserved. It's awesome. So we've got all these multiple shelves in here and um, we have lots of different size bottles containing lots of different size specimens. So we have really tiny specimens in really small jars and they go all the way up to big gallon size jars. As Shelley's showing me through the herbarium, I can't help thinking that not only is this a place where a vast collection of scientific knowledge is kept, it's also carrying a lot of history. While the herbarium was established back in 1853, the earliest collections date long before that. The oldest specimens were actually collected by two botanists who sailed over on the Endeavour almost 250 years ago. Our oldest collections are from 1770 when James Cook, on the voyage of the Endeavour, landed and uh, Joseph Banks and Daniel Solander started collecting in Botany Bay. And um, how many of those specimens do we have here and what sort of things are they? We have about 824 to be kind of precise. And uh, <laughs> so they are all the species that were found in, in that region where they, they landed as well as all the way up the coast, up the Endeavour River. So um, collections that range from New South Wales all the way up to Queensland. Because a lot of our flora is only found in Australia, it's not found anywhere else. So they, they would have landed here and just gone crazy with it and just thought this is like a botanical wonderland of new stuff. Definitely. They probably would have, their eyes would have lit up and I mean, imagine seeing a Banksia for the very first time and not knowing what it was, for example. I kind of see this as sort of history and natural sciences kind of overlapping. Do you see it in that way? Oh, definitely. It, so many human hands have touched all of these specimens from the collector who actually plucked it from the ground or from the tree to the people who mounted the specimens to the botanists who have annotated it um, and, and then the curators who have you know, very lovingly filed them away. Um, so a lot of people like to come in and have a look at the specimens that their family have you know, helped to curate through time. It's, it's not a one-person job, it's a many-person job. Although the plants that are housed at the herbarium are always referred to as a collection of botanical specimens, these plants aren't just sitting there idly. They're being put to work. It's a stamp collection. You're a stamp collector. You hear that a lot? Like, we're just collecting one of everything or two of everything, so we've got everything. That's not what it's about. 
That's Dr. Marco Doretto, Manager for Plant Diversity at the Royal Botanic Garden, Sydney. We want stuff of everything, but it's to work on them, not just to have them for them's sake. So we're just going to have a collection which is static, we might as well get rid of it. Everything's constantly being used, even those really old collections from 1770. So the Banks and Slander collections, even though they were very old, they're very important for research and they get used for research all the time. So they're not just sitting there being, oh, we've got a Banks and Salander. It's a research collection, so it, it tells us data that goes to the ALA, distributions of plants and things like that. So it's all used. Yeah, so you're, you're manager of plant diversity. Mm. Why is plant diversity important? Well, my team, we basically look at what's out there in the wild, put it very, very simply. So, so documenting what we've got, describing what we've got, and working out the relationships that we've got so we, everything's classified correctly. But because we can't conserve our biodiversity unless we know what we have. And if you've ever wondered how plants get their scientific names, well, it's thanks to scientists like Marco. We're responsible for what names of plants we use in New South Wales. And we feed into a group that's responsible for what names we use in all of Australia, which feeds into a group that works out what names we use across the world. Because when you're talking about plants, everyone needs to use the same name, meaning the same thing, no matter where you are. Otherwise, it's meaningless. So that's from playing with something in your garden, plus planting out your pansies, to working out the conservation and status of Astralasia buxifolia, which is known from one population in the Blue Mountains. So if you don't know what the name is, you can't talk to anyone else about it. And yeah. that actually, the name actually ties back all the literature for the centuries, so you can keep track of everything. And in case you're wondering, yeah, there's still plenty of plants that need discovering and naming. Every year scientists discover about 2,000 new plant species around the world. So what happened was I had a student working with me on a summer project on star bushes, which is the genus is called Astralasia. It's found on southeastern Australia and southwest Western Australia, about 20-odd species. We have a widespread species in New South Wales, which had a couple of forms, and my student. So she looked at it across its distribution, which was basically from the Sydney area up to the New South Wales-Queensland border. And there's a population in Carnarvon Gorge, 600 kilometres to the northwest in Queensland. And in a short time here, she determined that the populations in the northern tablelands in New South Wales were, in fact, probably a distinct species, and she's written a paper to do that. But there was a problem. This potentially new species was known from only three collections that had vague information. And although they thought it was a distinct and new species, they didn't have enough good material to be able to describe it formally. But I went on holidays, just happened to be going past Carnarvon Gorge because it's, one of, it's a very beautiful place because I was going further north. And so on the off chance, I kept an eye out for it. And he found it. It came from a bush about three metres tall in a gorge. So it's growing on the side of a sandstone slope. It's quite rugged. Um, a major tourist track as well, which is quite interesting. It has leaves which are five, six centimetres long, quite dark green, or lighter green in the wild. And it's each of the branches has got small flowers about a centimetre across, which are white with big yellow stamens. They actually don't look fantastic pressed, but they actually look, they stood out quite nicely on the bush. And I suspect over the next month, the whole, each of the branches will just be covered in flowers. So we just got it just at the beginning of the flowering season. 
So Marco took a sample of the plant in the pressed form back to the herbarium and prepared it for the collection using a traditional method as old as the field of botany itself. This plant was collected straight into the press, so it's dried beautifully. Um, when you collect, you change the papers the next day, make sure it's all lying flat. So this is actually dried quite nicely because we're in a fairly dry climate as well. This will retain its colour for two, three centuries. Oh, that's unbelievable. Because it's preservation quickly, basically kill it as quickly as possible, which is clipping it off, drying it out, pickling it, putting it in silica for the molecular work, and then making sure it doesn't get damp again so it dries out really, really quickly. So I can look under the microscope, it looks like a fresh flower, and it will look like this, and if you're around in the century, it should look basically the same. And because they discovered it, Marco and his student get the honour of naming it. We think we're calling it reclusive because it's reclusive. It's 600 kilometres from its nearest relative. Um, and our names will be attached to that name formally forever as well. As Marco's showing me his amazing specimen, and I'm surrounded by over one million others inside the herbarium, I can't help thinking how valuable they are and how important it is to keep them safe. This must be like... How do you ensure this? Because you can't really, can you? Is, if They're it, snapshots it, in time, so you can't. So it's, each specimen's unique because we can't go backwards in time. We have collections in here areas which have been devastated now. That's the only record we have of what we had beforehand. We've got records of species which are now being decimated by myrtle wilt. That's it. Those species are disappearing in many parts of the world, so... Collections in herbaria like this are the only records of those species and where their distributions are. The other thing that's really exciting, because people collect weeds, using the temporal side of things, we can actually track the spread of weeds using herbarium collections, and it actually works in Australia. We didn't think you'd have enough collections, but you can, if you do a time thing, you can see the weed moving up the coast. Bone seeds are classic. That's so, really cool. It is. So there's a lot of work you can do with these collections, and there's so many questions we can ask and answer. So, we've heard a bit about the herbarium's past and how it's currently being used, but what does its future hold in store? They are the bits of dead plants that tell the crucial story of life. Well, turns out some pretty exciting changes are coming. The National Herbarium in the Botanic Garden holds 1.4 million specimens, including everything known to grow in New South Wales. Flowers, trees, algae, helping science identify the rare, the new because the New South Wales government recently made an announcement. The herbarium will be heading west. The collection going to a $60 million facility at the Mount Annan Botanic Garden near Campbelltown. And New South Wales Environment Minister Gabrielle Upton made this exciting announcement. It's about finding a better place to be able to research these species, to be able to show them to the public. The herbarium will be relocated to the Australian Botanic Garden in Mount Annan and will be part of a new purpose-built state-of-the-art facility. And although the move will be a great thing, bringing together the Australian Plant Bank and the Herbarium as a kind of hub for conservation and research, shipping 1.43 million delicate specimens is a lot of work. It keeps me up at night. Um, it's going to have to be a very systematic process where we take boxes down, package them up and make sure that they make their way over to the the new facilities when they're finally built and uh, unpack them very carefully and put them into their new little cubby hole houses. Um, hopefully 
we will be having cabinets instead of red boxes so the, the really lovely red boxes will probably not be with us for too much longer um, but yeah it's we're going to have to just be very systematic and uh, very careful. However Marco says that one of the most exciting things about the move isn't the move itself but what the move might uncover. We're looking like digitising the collection which means we have to check everything which means everything. everything. So we've got 1.4 million collections, and so we want the names to be right, so we're doing broad checks to make sure the nomenclature and the naming's up to date. But when we start imaging the specimens, that means we're going to have a chance to look at every specimen for the first time ever. And that means there's bound to be a few surprises. So we'll uncover things in there, no doubt. It's like a major like spring clean of your mm. house, and then you like stumble across, I don't know some kind of family heirloom that you didn't oh, know about. We'll have, we'll have so much in there which we no one's looked at for decades. Because sometimes someone will, will collect something, put it away, but then that might be... They might have misidentified it. They may not have been aware what it is. They may have put it under like just eucalyptus when they didn't know what species it was. So it might actually go, oh, look at this. That's exciting. Happens all the time, actually, yes. Um, a lot of new species discoveries happen in herbaria. We have lots of boxes of specimens that are unidentified as well, so who knows what's in there. We have so many collections from around the world that we just have not really curated and we've forgotten that we have. So while most of this collection is very active and people use it all the time, like the New South Wales collections, we do have an extraordinary number of specimens from um, Melanesia, Polynesia, uh, Europe and the United States and they've mostly been stuck in boxes and not looked at for many, many years. So I think there's some real treasures just waiting to come out. Thanks for listening to Branch Out. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a five-star rating and a positive review if you like the show because it helps when people find us. Next episode, we'll be delving into the world of carnivorous plants. This October, the largest green wall in the Southern Hemisphere will be transformed at the Calyx at the Royal Botanic Garden, Sydney, for the Plants With Bite exhibition. You'll get to hear from the master behind this fusion of art, science and horticulture, Jimmy Turner. It's you know, the size of two of my hands, bright red, kind of looks like you know, beautiful lipstick. It's not something I'd want to kiss because inside there is a nice little pool of digestive juices waiting for a nice little bug. I also got to travel to the Blue Mountains to learn about these freaky and fascinating plants with Greg Burke, who has an amazing collection of carnivorous plants from all over the world. I'm Vanessa Fuchs, and this episode of Branch Out was produced by Joe Koning.